All right, welcome to a new episode of the Zero Technique Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Stern, and joined with me, as always, is Jared Zero. How are you doing tonight, Jared? I'm doing excellent, Ryan. Thank you for asking. How are you, how are you doing yourself? Uh, doing great, doing great. Um, so you can follow the show on Twitter at ZeroTechPod. Uh, make sure you're following, uh, and also on Facebook, uh, go to the Zero Technique Football Podcast. Uh, make sure you're following Backsports page on all social media at Backsports page, including uh, Facebook. Uh, you could be watching this live on uh, on Facebook Live or on YouTube Live as part of the Backsports page podcast network and web show network. Uh, make sure you're checking out everything that is going on over at www.backsportspage.com. All right, so... Uh, it's been two weeks since we have talked, and since then, we have seen an incredible video that was put out by uh, the NFL, uh, some of the NFL players. Uh, a lot of it was um, brought upon by Saquon Barkley, and there were a couple others that had a big hand in it. And since then, we have seen Roger Goodell come out and basically apologize on behalf of the NFL for not listening to black players in the past. And this was a, a very nonchalant dig at how they handled the Colin Kaepernick situation. Yeah, it was um, it was to say it was insulting, I feel would be a little too harsh, but I also feel like it's fitting. I feel like Roger Goodell's apology just wasn't as sincere. I feel as though if he were to, you know, really mean what he said, and if he was to really want the players to stand by him, especially in such a troubling time where a lot of people don't know what statements are sincere by certain organizations and which ones are, I feel that if he wanted to make more of an impact, the first thing he would have done is apologize directly to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. I mean, it, it sort of feels too little too late. Uh, it, it did feel forced. Uh, but he was also in a no-win situation, but it was a no-win situation that he put himself in. Um, and. Now, the the last time that we had spoken, we were saying that he needed to come out and make a statement. And yeah, he he made a, a statement, but again, like I said, it, a little too little, too late. But he would have gotten even more flack had he not made a statement. And I think there are too many people that are going out and that they were saying, "Why hasn't Goodell made a statement? Why hasn't Goodell made a statement?" And then sort of ragging on him for the statement that he made. And you know what? I mean, it, you can definitely see how, how people would see that way, but it, it, some of it is a little hypocritical, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's because of their non compliance towards listening to the, the black lives matter movement, in 2017, when this whole thing with Colin Kaepernick started, is the reason why there he was in the situation that he put himself into. No doubt, and and that's you know, 
and I think that's where a lot of people stand is like, like you said, he did make a statement, but too little, too late, right? It, it's almost like those are empty words. Now he really needs to push for it. And one thing that I think is sort of a step in the right direction for Goodell is he just came out recently and advocated for Colin Kaepernick to get his job back in the NFL. Um, after that came out, I noticed that the Chargers said that they could bring him in for a workout and that you know he's the type of quarterback they're looking for in terms of his, his particular skill set. Obviously, he's been out of the league for three years now, so when they say that he's the type of quarterback they're looking for, I don't know if they're going based off of his performance when he was playing or, you know, if they've maybe been in contact with his agent or whatever and kind of by word of mouth. Yeah. So the, uh, I, I read the, that statement with, uh, with the chargers and the statement sort of made it sound like that they're interested in him, but they haven't had any contact with him. And again, this now feels like, if you're going to make a statement like that or is a team just going to sign him because they, they sort of feel pressured now by the NFL to have someone sign him. And I don't think that that solves anything. If he gets signed just for the sake of getting signed, I think that that almost defeats the whole purpose what we need is for a team to come out and say, listen, we think Colin Kaepernick has uh, had a Ryan, I think we lost you. Um, you're a little bit frozen there. Well, until Ryan, you know, returns and he unfreezes, I might as well. Um, one one thing I, I did want to ask for the people who are watching, um, for Kaepernick, right? Like Ryan was in the direction he's going. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to say, we need to see him more than just being signed to have this be important. Obviously, if he gets signed and he's a third-string quarterback, it's not really going to hold much merit. I don't, I don't foresee a situation, you know, obviously Colin Kaepernick's situation, Cam Newton's situation is leaps and bounds different. But, oh, Ryan is back. Sorry. There we go. It's uh, <laughs> life on the road. Unfortunately, I, uh, I'm away on business right now, and there's only so much that someone can do while, uh, while trying to maintain a hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just um, I was just kind of saying to the people who were watching for I, I think the direction you were going is saying that for Colin Kaepernick he ch can't just be signed as a third string quarterback and then left on the bench. Right. I think, um, and I was going to ask right before you joined back. Obviously, Kaepernick's situation and Cam Newton's situation are drastically different, and Cam Newton still doesn't have a job. Do you think that if Colin Kaepernick signs as a backup, 
it holds merit, or do you think he comes back as a starter? Uh, unfortunately, because of the fact that he, well, I, I don't know if I necessarily mean unfortunately, but because of the fact that he has been out of the league three years, I don't think there's going to be a team in the NFL that's going to sign him and just hand the reins over to him as a starter. He's going to have to earn it in, in training camp. And now this could be a benefit for him. It also could be a, a, a negative for him with the fact that not only is he going to, if he does get signed by a team, is he going to go into a new situation with a new coaching staff, with a new system, and he he's going to have to learn everything right away. Uh, now, I, I think that if he's going into a situation, maybe, again, you, you mentioned Cam Newton. What, if, what about Carolina? Carolina has Teddy Bridgewater, who is going to be new to that situation. Um, they have a, a, another quarterback, uh, who's David Moore, I, I believe, who uh, who started a couple games last year and didn't really impress anybody. Uh, I think that would be a situation that if Kaepernick is able to come in and show that he has what he had in the, that run that led the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Now, again, the last year that he played as a starter, he wasn't necessarily that effective. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the, the team around him was awful. The offensive line was awful. Uh and he just – it just was not a good statistical year for Colin Kaepernick. And I think that sort of gave a leg up to those people who were saying, oh, well, the, the reason why he's not in the league is because he's not a good quarterback anymore. It has nothing to do with his protest, which I think we all know is BS. Uh, because there are plenty of backup quarterbacks in the league who – can't hold Colin Kaepernick's jockstrap as an athlete. Uh, but you mean to tell me that Colin Kaepernick can't go into Carolina and give Teddy Bridgewater a run for his money as a starting quarterback? I, I think that would be the, the best situation if he wants to really earn a spot as a starting quarterback. That would be the, the one uh, team that I would have in mind. So I don't disagree with you there about the, the Panthers. And I think you were getting uh, DJ Moore mixed up with the backup Kyle – or not Kyle Allen anymore. He's with the Redskins. Will Greyer, the rookie that they drafted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at this uh, point the, – I think the, the quarterback that they had that started a couple years followed Ron Rivera to Washington. Yes, Kyle Allen is the one that yeah, follows that yeah. too. Um, however – That's right, Will Greer. The – I don't disagree with Carolina. I think Carolina would be a, a good spot for Kaepernick. But I honestly think that the Chargers are the best bet. And I'm not just saying that because they're the first team to come out and say anything. Tyrod Taylor hasn't started in how many years now? And they have a, and they have a rookie who they drafted in the first round this year. If Colin Kaepernick had the best opportunity of being a starter coming back into the league – 
I think it's fighting for that starting job in in Los Angeles. I think with the Chargers, you know, Tyrod Taylor is going to be stepping it up. He wants to prove that he still has it, right? You know, Justin Herbert wants to prove that he has it. He's a rookie. He wants to be like, look, I know I'm just, this is my first year in the league, but I want that starting job. And then if if they were to sign Colin Kaepernick to, you know, to the practice or to whatever to have him fight for that starting role, it would also kind of boost his want to be better. And to to your last point about you know his last year statistically not being the greatest due to having a a, a bad offensive line, bad receivers, whatever. I genuinely believe that. If he was put on the the 49ers now, if you if you replace Jimmy Garoppolo with Colin Kaepernick now, I I think the 49ers are still a playoff team. I think that team is good enough with Colin Kaepernick at the reins. So yeah. my my only question would be what sort of physical shape is he in uh to come in and fight for a starting job right away? And what mental state is he in? Does he even want to come back to the NFL? After being away for so long, do does he think that maybe if he comes back, it's going to look like a cop out? Uh, may, maybe it looks like he he's re-signing with the devil by coming back to the NFL, the the league that sort of ambushed his career. Um, is it something that he still wants? We haven't heard any statement from Colin Kaepernick about what his plans are. And I think the longer we go without hearing from Colin Kaepernick, the more it leads me to believe that maybe he doesn't want to come back. And that's a fair point, right? Obviously, like you said, we haven't heard anything from him, so we don't know where his head is at. Obviously, we know last season he did want to come back. He had that meeting with everybody, whatever. Nothing came of it. He had workouts, you know, so – Obviously, I think he's still interested, but if I'm calling Kaepernick, I'm coming back and I am making a statement. If, I, if I'm him, I am coming back to the NFL and I am making a statement. And I am proving to everybody that said, oh, he's not in the NFL because he sucks or whatever. And I'm showing them up. I'm saying, well, I, you guys don't think I'm in the league because my stats were bad. But... What are the, what are they gonna say if he goes on and brings whatever team to you know a divisional round or a, or, or a championship round or you know as far fetched as it might sound is maybe even a Super Bowl right it, it's just I think the I want, revenge isn't the right term I feel like the animosity and resentment he has built up towards the NFL for how they did handle his situation back in 2017. I think he uses that as motivation to kind of push himself to want to prove the league wrong that, you know, wrong him in 2017. I think he does it to prove the people wrong who doubted him and, you know, who said, Oh, he's not in the league because he's bad. So I think if, if I were him, I would, I would a hundred percent want to get back in. Yeah. You also, uh don't know I, I you know that there were the the whole legal issues that he was suing the NFL over I, I I don't know if you can necessarily call it wrongful termination but the the 
the fact that he was trying to sue them because he felt that it was the NFL that was as a league that was keeping him from having a job, uh, not necessarily any of the teams. Uh, but now let, let's look a, a little bit deeper into uh, what, what Goodell had said. And again, a lot of this has to come with the fact that there are players that are being very, very, very outspoken. And it brings now to light all of these coaches that are saying that they're going to either support their, the players that kneel or even kneel with them. And that's something that in 2017, when this whole thing started, nobody could even fathom that a coach would even come out and, and be in support of the kneeling or actually go along with the kneeling as well. Right. And, you know, we saw it in 2017 in 2018 when teams were kneeling, when the protests were at their highest. And one example that comes to mind for me is the New England Patriots. I remember that, that first game of the season, the entire team, including Brady, took a knee. Everybody did. And Belichick, obviously, he didn't kneel, but he stood with his arms locked with everybody, Josh McDaniel. So the coaches were a part of that protest. And so to say it's it's unfathomable for to to think of a coach kneeling with the players. I, I don't I don't necessarily see that. In some instances, I think you know they're trying to make themselves look better. In the case of Bill O'Brien, he says he's going to kneel with his players and he's in support of them, and I think that's because he's trying to make up for the idiocy from this offseason in terms of trading DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's doing it not – he might believe it's the right thing to do. He, 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 you know, but I think he's more so doing it because he kind of wants to be back in the, the good graces of everybody. I think for him it's more so about, well, people aren't a big fan of the trades that I made or the decisions or the things I've said back during the offseason. So – if I do this, maybe it'll make me look better type of mentality. I mean, I could be a hundred percent wrong. Who knows? But that's how I view it. Yeah. I mean, we, we've obviously discussed on this show, uh, the show, the bad turns that, uh, that Bill O'Brien has made over, uh, over this off season, uh, just some of the, the head scratching moves. Um, and the the fact that he traded away DeAndre Hopkins and got back Brandon Cooks in a separate trade, and all he netted from it was jumping up two rounds. Um, but and I can definitely see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily think that the reason that Bill O'Brien was the first coach to come out in support of the kneeling and say that he was going to kneel with his players, if that's what they chose to do. I don't think that it was necessarily in reaction to what has happened over the, the course of this off season. I think that he, uh, and don't think that JJ Watt 
uh, doesn't have anything to do with it. J.J. Watt has such an enormous voice throughout the entire league. And I think that if J.J. Watt gets into Bill O'Brien's head that, hey, listen, this is something that we need to be on the forefront. We need to make sure that we're ahead of the the game. We're ahead of the rest of the league and make sure that we're getting out there and showing our support. Again, I can't guarantee that J.J. Watt didn't have anything to do with it, but I would not be surprised if he did. Well, neither would I. And I'm assuming you saw his tweet from a couple of days ago where, you know, the Texans uh, Twitter you know, said something along the lines of, oh, we're going to kneel in solidarity with the movement and everything else. And someone tagged J.J. Watt and said, well, I bet you're not going to catch J.J. Watt kneeling during any of the games. And he actually replied to them. And he said, for one, don't speak for me. And two, I will absolutely be kneeling during the game. And to me, that's, you know, I, and like you said, he has such an enormous voice in this league and in the Texas org- organization. And I think for a player like JJ Watt to be a part of be a part of the protest and be a part of the movement i think inspired a lot of people and you can see it in in players like baker mayfield right i was baker, just bring him up baker mayfield he tweeted he and he said you know last i was he's i he was like i was blind to it before i didn't understand it but now i do and from here on out, I can start doing the right thing or, you know, whatever he said. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but, you know, he basically, he admitted that he in before didn't support the movement because he was uneducated. And now that, you know, he sees a player like JJ Watt and now that he did educate himself, now he, it, now he does support it. So I, I think that seeing a tweet like that from a, a such a big figurehead in the league, like J.J. Watt, definitely helped a lot of other players become more comfortable with with the idea of supporting the protests. Yeah, and so th- this goes along with uh, with one of your other points with uh, with J.J. Watt, where he came out and said, don't speak for me. Um, it was on uh, Baker Mayfield's Instagram, and someone said, uh, I-, I think it, it was a- along the lines of, don't tell us that you're going to be one of the the kneelers, and Baker and he came out and absolutely was in uh, standing in lockstep with the the teammates alongside him who have dealt with the racial injustice, who are supporting the the movement, and again. Baker Mayfield doesn't have a, a clean past. So we, we can't just look past that, that maybe he has, has a little bit of animosity towards the, the police system. I mean, he, <laughs> I, I don't know if you, you saw the video when he was in college where he was running away, tried to run away from a cop resisting arrest and got tackled worse than any hit he's taken in the NFL or uh, or in college. But, yeah, I mean, Baker Mayfield is – he's taking that next step that you want to see your franchise quarterback take. It, it's 
a, a move of leadership. It's a move of solidarity. It's something that right now in the, the locker rooms, which are majority black players right now. Right. And they are the majority on the Cleveland Browns where he needs to make sure that he has the support of his team and for him to be vocal about it. It was, uh, it was very encouraging. Well, that to bring up to your point about the locker room and and making sure that the locker room understands, I want to bring it back to, to Drew Brees. I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago, last time we were on, but he obviously issued his apology you know, he actually stood up to, you know, Donald Trump about, uh, I guess, after he issued the apology, Donald Trump tweeted at him or whatever it was and told him, you don't need to apologize for, you know, your opinion or whatever, something like that. And Drew Brees said, no, I, I do have to apologize because we as a community need to be better. And I 100% believe that is the type of change you know, the team needed to see from him. And I told you this last week that I think the comments that he did make were going to affect the, the locker room chemistry. But I now think that when it, when his teammates see that, you know, okay, he's not just apologizing publicly to make himself look better. He's actually standing up to, you know, President Trump, who Drew Brees is known to support. It, it's it makes it a little bit different. It makes it more genuine. It makes it feel a lot more real. So do you think there's still going to be animosity in that locker room? I don't think it's going to go away that easily. Um, I think Drew Brees took the necessary steps he needed to take in order to gain back whatever trust he had lost within the, uh, the locker room. I can't speak for everyone in that locker room or anyone but he ne- he did what he needed to do to begin the the transition of regaining the the trust yeah i could see that and you know <clears throat> i just think it's nice to see that a lot of people are coming out and saying you know and this doesn't even just stick to nfl players i mean i've seen it with people that i'm personally friends with as well who are coming out and saying, you know what? I wasn't educated before. I'm sorry, but that it took me so long, but I'm here now. I do support it. So I I do think that where, you know, the NFL is heading is in the right direction. And as you know, I do a new show called the trifecta on Fridays. And I was talking to Tyrone and Ahmed about this. The, the NFL, I think needs to become similar to the NBA in the sense that it's a player's league. The players in the NBA, obviously some of the antics similar to like Kyrie or, you know, whatever, I'm not, I'm not necessarily agreeing with, but it is a player's league where the players voices matter. And I think the NFL needs to follow suit with that because yeah, certain players like, a J.J. Watt or, you know, now a Patrick Mahomes or a Tom Brady. They can say whatever they want. They'll get whatever they want. But I don't think that they could they could make a statement strong enough that the rest of the league will follow suit, where, like, LeBron James could. 
Yeah, well, I, I think you're absolutely right that the NBA is definitely run by the players. Um, I think that the NFL owners have too much power for that to necessarily be the standard that uh, is reached by the NFL players. Uh, there's just too much outside money that uh, that brings that that the NFL brings in, and that the that the owners have that for them to really take over. Um, I mean, we can, we can even get into a little bit with, uh, with the NBA and who thinks who is right. Uh, Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets, who this is the, the most confusing part about why, why is it Kyrie Irving that's coming out and being the, the voice of, why the NBA shouldn't restart because of the Black Lives Matter protests. Kyrie Irving is injured and he's not going to be a part of <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets playoff run. And he's not even going to be allowed to go down to Orlando. Now, does this have any sort of... Re is this part of the reason why he's so out forth in the NBA not coming back because he's not going to be a part of it. He's not going to have a chance to be a part of a, a winning team this year. I mean, obviously the, the Nets are a good team. They're nowhere close to being a championship team without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. <laughs> you, it, you hit the nail on the head. I a hundred percent believe that Kyrie Irving is actually backtracking from what he said and no longer wants to play because he's not going to be a part of that team come, you know, the playoff bubble, they're calling it. And the crazy thing to think about is that Kyrie Irving is the vice president of the NBA PA. And he originally voted for the return. So I think that at a hundred percent has to do with him not going to be a part of that team in you know, it's frustrating to him. Um, and it just, it doesn't really make sense to me. I think that obviously I understand the whole not wanting to play because you're, you're afraid of getting sick, whatever. I get that, right? Everybody has their feelings towards, you know, the virus and, and the pandemic we're in right now. And rightfully so, right? One of my best friends just had a baby. He doesn't want to leave his house. He doesn't want to have guests until the numbers start dropping. Understandable. Other people I know want to go out and go out to eat at restaurants and go shopping. And, you know, I'll admit I went out shopping the other day because I needed new, like I needed new things. It, you know, everyone is entitled to that. But, you know, we've seen it so many times in the NBA where players have used their platform for social justice such as lebron james and we we see it very often in that league and so i feel by not i i feel by not playing and saying it's because of the protests i feel just doesn't sit well with me and the only reason i'm going to say that is because Everybody's going to be watching sports. Everybody wants sports back. Right. Right. And so if the athletes take 
take their time and during the pregame, during the game by wearing it on their jerseys or on their sneakers or whatever in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, then that message is going to get across to far more people than to not. You know, so I, I think I, I'm on the, the side that I think they should play. Yeah, I mean, the to me, the the Black Lives Matter movement should have nothing to do with the the return to play. It should be strictly based on whether or not it is safe for all of these players to come back and get get right back into the the playoffs. In terms of the the movement, I think you you're absolutely right. This is the perfect time for the NBA players who want to get word out about the, the move. Obviously, everyone knows about how they feel and where their mindset is in terms to the the, the protests and, and everything like that. But to not play because they think that it's going to take away from the protest. I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw on, uh, on ESPN the other day, they had a, uh, a program called uh, return to sports. Uh, Mike Greenberg did an excellent job. Uh, he spoke to the commissioners of all of the pro major sports in, in the United States. And, there were also a couple players that were on it and Damian Lillard. I mean, Damian Lillard does not get enough credit for what he does on and off the court. Uh, he, he's been a model citizen. He's been great for the league and nobody talks enough about him. Um, again, th this may be coming from the wrong person because I mean, the, the NBA is clearly my fourth uh, amongst the uh, the four major sports, but I still know enough about it to to be able to to voice an opinion about it. And Damian Lillard needs to be used as, as more of a face of of the league than he has. For he came out and he was so well spoken when he he was saying that. This is a, a perfect time for us to to come back and use our voices for the the betterment of the movement. I agree with you a hundred percent. And as somebody, the the NBA is probably my second, you know, favorite out of the four major sports. Football, obviously, being number one. But Damian Lillard, from everything that I've seen, he gets enough on on the court credit, right? He he does get enough of enough of that. I, I think he could does, he deserves a little bit more, but I think the amount that he gets is fair. But you hit the, hit the nail right on the head with that. He does not get enough credit off the court for for how he for how he is, and it's it's really really unfortunate. Um, so um, we uh, we will definitely be uh, getting into. Uh, just everything that's going on. Make sure that you're staying tuned. Uh, you can now subscribe directly to uh, the Zero Technique Football Podcast on 
all uh, I know on Apple and on Spotify. Uh, in the search bar, uh, type in the Zero Technique podcast, and you'll be able to directly subscribe to our channel. Uh, the uh, the shows are we do record live uh, via Streamyard on Wednesday nights. And the podcast will uh, hopefully be up there on uh, on Thursday morning for everyone to download if that's your uh, preference for listening to our show. Um, we are hoping to get on John Laub from uh, footballdiehards.com. I know that uh, he, he had just sent me a message that uh, the podcast that he records uh, is running a little late. Um he uh, he does a uh, a college football fantasy podcast called On Campus, uh, which is uh, it's one of the shows that I listen to. I'm a I'm a big podcast nut. I'm on the road a lot, so I, I'm in the car, and sometimes you, you just need to to get away from music. And so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and John always has shows that I am listening to uh we're hoping that he can join us for a couple minutes uh when he is done if not we will try and get him on next week uh but we will continue with our top five segment and today we are going into the top five running backs right now in the nfl uh so jared uh let's uh let's hear your number one uh i feel like this would be pretty obvious i'm going with my boy christian mccaffrey that that dude is something else, right? He just is so dynamic whenever he touches that football. To be only the third ever running back to accomplish a thousand yards and or a thousand rushing yards and a thousand receiving yards in the same season, when the last to do it was in nineteen ninety nine by Marshall Falk, I think that is amazing. He until. I don't. I don't know if there is a downside to Christian McCaffrey. He's out of the backfield. He is the best receiving running back in the league. He just. He just is the complete package of everything you want in a running back. And the kids. The kids healthy. I mean, he hasn't had an issue with injuries yet so far. And you know, a lot of people were saying last season, "Oh, they're overworking him. They're overworking him," because they didn't have you know, Cam Newton to kind of take some of the pressure off. But I mean, now that they have Teddy Bridgewater, who is a, you know, an active quarterback in the pocket, you know, he can run the ball. I think that, you know, Christian, Christian McCaffrey's longevity is, is up there. I think he, he has a long time in the NFL. And as, as of right now, he's my number one. Yeah. So crazy stat that I, I just heard. Uh, if you, in terms of fantasy purposes, if you only took Christian McCaffrey's receiving stats, he would have been the 11th best wide receiver in the NFL last year. That's insane. And he was the 11th best wide receiver. And then he also puts up 1400 plus rushing yards. I mean, so Christian McCaffrey is my number one. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is someone that I was wrong on. Uh, I was very weary of his ability to withstand uh, a bell cow workload 
the the system that they ran in at Stanford was very zone outside the tackle. And I didn't think he'd be able to handle going up the middle seven, 10, 12 times a game. And then you look at some of these videos that Christian McCaffrey posts on Twitter of his workouts. This kid is built like a rock. I thought I, I and and that's that could be uh, that's on me for not digging deeper into what sort of physical shape he actually was in uh but as small as he is I think he he's proven to the, to the entire world that he is certainly capable uh, of withstanding that workload so um yeah Christian McCaffrey is number 1 for me my number two, I would – this one's a toss-up for me. I mean, there are so many great running backs in the league right now, and I, I think for anybody who watches the NFL you know, consistently, for somebody who does enjoy, enjoy the sport, I think we are blessed with the number of – I'll even go out there and say elite running backs that we do have in the league. But I, I, wanna, I, I think I'm going to put my number two as Alvin Kamara. You know, I think Alvin Kamara had a – Obviously, a, a bad season. No, it wasn't even a bad season, we'll say, but it was a, a lower than expected performance wise season for him. And I think it's because, you know, he was adjust, he was trying to adjust to before he had that one two punch with Mark Ingram with the Saints. And then, you, you know, you kind of take that away from him. So he's adjusting to a different role. Um, but I mean, since he's been in the league, I mean, he's consistently been one of the best running backs that we have seen. He's been one of the most successful and one of the most consistent in terms of his stats. So for so to, to see how he adjusts to that, you know, new role without kind of that one-two punch combo and stuff like that, I, I want to give him another season before I kind of move him up or down. And I, so for now, he's my number two. And my number two is Saquon Barkley. Um, to amass the amount of production that he has over his first two years in the NFL with the offensive line that he's had to run behind is mind boggling. Uh, the, the, there are so many times where he gets hit in the backfield where any other running back in the league would have gone down for a three, four yard loss and he gets back to the line of scrimmage or gains a yard and you look in the stats and you see, okay, he had a one yard gain here. What, what's up with that? It's because of his incredible size and speed combination that it's not a negative four yard loss. Um, His ability to, just absolutely break away from anyone at the size that he has. I mean, we've all seen the picture with, uh, with, with him, his rookie year in, in those short black shorts with, uh, with the quads just bursting out and prompting Odell Beckham Jr. to anoint him with the nickname Saquads. Uh, I mean, his, his, his quads could feed a small country. Um, 
<laughs> the his the his ability to be that big and that fast just shouldn't happen in uh, in a human being and i'm excited to see how he performs this year because the giants did a great job of improving the offensive line uh in terms of the ability to run block uh also pass block but especially in the running game with the drafting of Andrew Thomas, uh, it's going to be able to move Nate Solder over to the right side. Uh, I think if I, I think the Giants' ultimate plan is to have Shane Lemieux, their uh, their fifth round pick from this year, ta- uh, move from guard to center. Uh, I think he had if he can play as well at center as he did at guard uh, for Oregon. And the fact, and they also have uh, Cameron Irving that they uh, that they brought in. Hey, th- th- this is going to be a telltale season for uh, for Saquon Barkley, and I, I think we're uh, we're in store for a big one from him. And Saquon's my number three. Uh, I wanted to put him at number two, and that's why I said it was a toss up. But like I said, I want to see the consistency from Kamara first to see if that keeps up. But I, I, you can ask anybody that knows me. When I saw Saquon coming out of college, the first thing I said about him is he is going to be the greatest running back that has ever played the game of football. That, that's what I said about him, and I still stand by that. Obviously, right now, Christian McCaffrey is a better running back. But Saquon, like you said, his legs – are huge. Those they're about the size of my head. Like that's crazy. Well, and again, you must have a big head. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like you said, the the speed with those sized legs is unrivaled by anybody else in the league. And and again, like you said, you know. Be, getting hit in the backfield as often as he does and still turning it into a gain or at least, you know, just back to the line of scrimmage is so impressive. And, you know, obviously, b- back to the point I made about Kamara, Barkley's season was a little bit, you know, underwhelming compared to his rookie year. But we see that far more often than people think. And I don't think that is anything against him. I mean, he was injured for a little while. Yeah. You know, missed miss two and a, two and a half games with with the ankle injury, and you could tell he wasn't right the the first couple weeks that he came back. But the second half of last season, especially like the the last four games, you could tell that he was back in uh, in Saquon form. No, absolutely, and that's where he and that's where he thrives. Is he is a special type of running back, and so for me, he's my number three. Uh, my number. Number three is somebody that I would love to see stay on the field more than he has been able to show in the past, because I think if he were to be able to stay on the field for a full 16 game season, he could be a record setter. And that's Dalvin Cook, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he, he just, he has it. There, there, doesn't seem to be when you look at him there doesn't seem to be anything special about him he doesn't have 
that top end speed. He he doesn't have the the big bruising size. He he's an average speed, average size running back that just dominates whenever he gets a chance to to play. And those kind of stories I love. I love to see the the players and he he was one of those guys that he had a shot to be a first round draft pick and he goes to the combine and he performs so poorly and he he falls into the second round and to to see those kind of redemption stories to see somebody take the the negative that that was his uh, his combine and turn it into the the positive of uh of what has been his NFL career again aside from injuries so uh, if, if we're taking injuries out of the equation, my number three is Dalvin Cook. I dig it, Ryan. I do dig it. <clears throat> For me, my number four, I think I'm going to have to give it to Joe Mixon of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, for, you know, something that I've, I've repeated numerous times, even today, I, I said it last week, something that I love is consistency. Right. It is just something that, for me, if you can consistently show up, improve yourself every single game, and you can every season you're you're consistently going above and beyond for your team, you you are going to be better than the average person. And Joe Mixon is that he since he's been in the league, he's had what was it two or three consecutive thousand rushing yard seasons. Obviously, he's not the best running back in the game. He's not the best running back on the field. There are probably, you know, 10 other guys that are better than him. But for my, for me, in my opinion, he's the most consistent, right? People probably argue, ah, oh, what about Derrick Henry? What about this? What about this one? It's like, yeah, those guys are great, but they're not consistent. You don't see these, the consistencies from people like Derrick Henry where, where you do see that with Joe Mixon. So Joe Mixon's my number four. So it's fine because Derrick Henry is my number four. Um, you you don't get to be the the rushing champion by by accident. Uh, granted, a lot of it has to do with the the scheme that allows him to succeed, but he just has that ability, and the player that he reminds me a lot of but he has I, I think a, a little bit better of a skill set is Brandon Jacobs because I, I think it in the first quarter you can say all right come on at me Derrick Henry I, I can tackle you in the fourth quarter defenders are terrified of tackling this dude he can just roll over you and he has the the ability to one stay to stay relatively healthy and two consistently maintain his energy throughout a game uh i would love to see him be able to take on a bigger role in the passing game but again that necessarily isn't the way that tennessee feels like they're going to succeed uh, if he can up his game in terms of the uh, the passing game, he can definitely jump up to, to number two for me. Uh, but right now, Derrick Henry is my number four. 
I respect that. I do. And that's why Derrick Henry is my number five. Uh, you basically said it all. The first quarter, everyone's like, come on, we're going to tackle you. We're going to bring you down. And then, lo and behold, three quarters later, he's still running over you. You're not tackling him. And we saw that all postseason. We saw it against the Patriots. We saw it against the Ravens. And the Ravens have one of the best defenses in the league. So it's just – he just can – once he has his hands on that ball, you don't know what's happening with that. You – you don't know how you're stopping him. And so, and again, I'll, I'll say it again. Consistency for me is key. I would love to see Derrick Henry repeat what he did last, last season. I would love to see it again from him. And he could, like you said, jump up to my number two, my number three, whatever it is. But for now, he is my number five. But I do, he is definitely one of the best running backs in the game. Uh, so my number five is Ezekiel Elliott. And uh, a lot of this has to do with the offensive line that he gets to run behind. Um, I'm not taking anything away from Ezekiel Elliott, but you put a lot of running backs in the NFL running behind that offensive line, and they're going to be just as successful as Ezekiel Elliott. Now, Elliott has that he over the last two years he has elevated his receiving game to I think a level that most people didn't think was going to be part of his repertoire and he is such an important part of that offense because of that the, now this newfound dual threat ability and the, the fact that you, you have a, a Cowboys offense who is probably going to be one of the, if not the top offense in the NFL this year. Uh, they always have a top offensive line. Uh, they now have three legit wide receivers with Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. Uh, the, the biggest question mark is going to be what happens with Dak Prescott. It's now... June 17th. They have 28 days to sign him. They have until uh, July 15th to sign him to a long-term extension or else we can see a holdout. We can see Dak Prescott technically be a, 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 a lame duck where he's going to because they're, they're not going to be able to afford to, to pay him on a two-franchise uh, term next year. Uh, so with, with the franchise tags, what it is is you get the average of the top five uh, salaries at the position. If you're tagged for a second year in a row, you get that plus 20%. So I think the, the tag number this year was $34 million. So you're then you're looking at 34. You're adding 20% to that. That's about seven million. So that's 41 million dollars. And I know that that's what Dak is going. Oh, I think he froze again. I think Ryan froze again. 
Oh, goodness. Yep, he definitely froze. So, I'm not sure what else to talk about. I mean, for me, um, if I had to give honorable mention to anybody, it would be Aaron Jones, running back of the Green Bay Packers. I don't think he gets enough credit. I think for him being a fifth-round pick a couple years ago, I think for, you know, he was a fifth-round pick in 2017. And for him in his third season to have over 1,000 rushing yards uh, with 16 touchdowns and an additional almost 500 passing yards with three touchdowns, I think that is incredible. I don't know if you caught what I was just talking about. (laughs) I was talking Uh, just uh, Just the tail end. So I was giving, giving my honorable mention to Aaron Jones. Okay. Um, I think that for somebody to be a fifth round pick in 2017 and then three years later to have over a thousand rushing yards with 16 touchdowns and just under 500 passing yards with four, with three touchdowns. I think that's very impressive, you know, cause it, it's so often are those late round picks overlooked. Right. And, very rarely do they get the credit they deserve. I mean, before Antonio Brown went crazy, he was a, I believe he was a fifth round pick as well. You know, obviously the the legendary story of Tom Brady being a sixth round pick. So I, I think Aaron Jones definitely deserves a mention. Uh, so uh, I, I do have two guys that I think have a good chance at being in this top five next year. Uh, one of them is Miles Sanders uh, from Philly. I I think he's just going to have an absolutely huge year this year. Um, And another one is rookie Jonathan Taylor uh, with Indianapolis. Uh, Part of what I was saying with, uh, with Ezekiel Elliott was the offensive line. The Colts offensive line may have eclipsed the Cowboys with the retirement of Travis Frederick as the number one offensive line in the NFL in my books. Um, I think we're going to see early on a 50-50 split between him and Marlon Mack. And I think we're going to see Jonathan Taylor just pull away. And towards the end of the year, we're going to see exactly what Jonathan Taylor has. Uh, he was my favorite running back in this year's draft. Uh, loved his landing spot, uh, and, and I think that he has all all the makings of being a top guy in the league. Yeah, I don't doubt it. And I mean, for me, I think uh, one guy that I I could potentially see breaking into my top five would be Chris Carson. Um, again, he is a total workhorse and. Very similarly to Derrick Henry, is it's hard to bring him down. He's a hard guy to tackle, but his issue is, you know, fumbles. Right? He, yep. It's hard for him to hold on to the ball, but you know, he he sharpens that up. He, you know, he tightens in. He he gets a hold of that ball. He holds it on tighter and, you know, works on that. I I have no doubt in my mind he could be a top five running back. 
So I, I know you you had uh, with your honorable honorable mention mentioned Aaron Jones. Uh, I have a little bit of a grudge against Aaron Jones, and it's my own fault. Uh, <laughs> so in my dynasty league, uh, about a week or so before last season started. Uh, there was all the talks about Green Bay going to a 50-50 split between uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to see out of uh, LaFleur's system. And that scared me a lot with Aaron Jones. And we also had the injury with Cam Newton where I didn't know what was going to happen in terms of the, the development of the Carolina Panthers wide receivers. And I needed to get what I thought was a sure thing. So I traded Aaron Jones and DJ Moore for Le'Veon Bell. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me while I laugh at you for the next you know, <laughs> 10 minutes. <sighs> it was... And, and I was stoked. I was so happy that I made that trade because I was so sure that the Packers were going to be a 50-50 timeshare with Jones and Williams. And that I, I was still okay. I mean, I like DJ more, but I, you know what? I actually have a really strong wide receiving core. So, you know what? Let, let's use – I don't know if DJ Moore is going to be able to crack into my lineup this year. So, I'll just use that, and yeah, that bit me in the ass. <laughs> but uh, Chris, Car I, I do have Chris Carson on that team, so go Chris Carson. <laughs> there you go. There you All go. right, so that, that's uh, we're we're gonna wrap up the uh, the Zero Technique Football Podcast for this week. I uh, want to make sure that everyone's checking out www.backsportspage.com for all the great content that's going up. Uh, make sure you're following Backsports Page on all social media at Backsports Page. Uh, the show, once again, is on Twitter at Zero Tech Pod. And on Facebook, it's uh, the Zero Technique Football Podcast. And I'm on Twitter at rstern33. Jared, where are you at? I am on Twitter at JournalistJ0. It's right down there, right, right there. <laughs> yep, Y'all can see it. Uh, that's where you can find me. I'm also on Facebook at Jared Zero. And like Ryan said, you can find me on Back Sports page. You can find Ryan on Back Sports page. All the great articles that are going up by a bunch of the amazing writers on the website. There we go. Uh, so uh, we are looking forward to having uh, John Laub join us next week. We'll make sure that, uh, that the timing is set up where he can join us. John is such a great person to have on, especially in, uh, in times that are going on right now. Uh, he's a history teacher, a history nut, and really analyzes things from a, a different point of view than what we could fathom coming from. Uh, would love to hear his, his viewpoint on everything going on and also how it will affect uh, professional and college football. Uh, he, he's one of the, uh, the better college football minds out there. So, uh, make sure you are staying tuned once again, also make sure you are subscribed to the zero technique podcast on Apple, uh, podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you search the zero technique podcast. So until we meet again, uh, Jared, have yourself a great week, buddy. You as well, Ryan.